Tuning into the 369th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Eros, Daryl, D. Lay, and as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora. I want to thank you for making me and this show part of your day. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, going to have Jamal St. Cyr on the show. He covers the Jacksonville Jaguars as a sports anchor for news for Jacksonville. Uh, so we're going to talk to him about Urban Meyer, everything that went down from the firing to all the little Urban Meyer controversies. Trevor Lawrence, uh, rookie, everybody's been hyping up and his struggles. We talk about that also. We talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Who could be the potential head coach since Urban Meyer's gone for the offseason? Who could they look at? Now, before we get to that conversation with Jamal, I'm going to give my shameless plug. First-time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically via Spotify, for the timestamps. You click on this timestamp, it will go to the exact part of the podcast you want to listen to. It's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lane. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane, and you will find it. Post three to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or if you have iTunes, give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And kind of next on the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Jamal St. Cyr, kind of next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Jamal Saints here with the sports anchor for News for Jacksonville. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. How about yourself? I am doing absolutely fabulous. So, first thing I got to ask you, Urban Meyer. So, where were you when the news dropped, and just what were your initial thoughts? Well, I, I was asleep like most of the world. I mean, uh, I've what they dropped the news at like twelve forty-five or something like that i was knocked out uh, i think when i woke up at like 2 a.m for some reason looked at my phone and uh i said this can't be real and then i found out it was and i immediately got to work so <laughs> <laughs> was i what I, I think my uh, my initial reaction <laughs> so when obviously the kicking story came out with Josh Lebo, I think that kind of seemed to be the straw that broke the Campbell's back. Were you sensing that at all? Or were you like, okay, this is really bad? So I think the kicking story may definitely didn't help, but the Jaguars were aware of the kicking incident since early in the season. Um, it just became public knowledge at that point. Uh, according to the timeline Sidecon and his people are giving out is that they made the decision on Sunday 
after the last game against the Titans when the team got shut out, but they wanted to wait because of other obligations that Shad had where media could be around. We actually met with Shad that Monday, um, so he didn't want to have to deal with all the Urban Meyer stuff with that at NFL meetings or the owner meetings. There's also some media there, so he was waiting for, according to his people, he was waiting for that stuff to wrap up so that way he could break the news and then kind of fly below the radar of sorts. <laughs> so, and with this, do you think that at all he should have let Urban finish out the year, or do you think, right, okay, like, we just needed to have no. this to be done? They, they, it was time. Um, it was getting, it, like, let me put it to you this way. Shad uh, met with Trevor on Tuesday. So I can I can almost guarantee you at some point he broached this topic with Trevor, and I'd be willing to bet based on Shad's continued respect for Trevor and understanding that Mr. Lawrence is uh, the future of the Jaguars. If Trevor would have told him he wanted Urban here, I think Urban would still be here. I, I don't know the specifics of that conversation, but I'm willing to bet if Trevor Lawrence goes and talks to Shad, kind of says, "Urban Meyer's my coach." He's, he's still the coach of the Jaguars. Uh, so, no, I think it was time for it. You know, when you start talking about dysfunction in the coaching staff, uh, and, you know, the, the public opinion had already sailed. The team wasn't winning. Urban, you know, never really felt like a guy who had a firm grasp when it came to the details. It just seemed like he wasn't focused. He wasn't the focused Urban Meyer that won national championships in college football. You know, he felt like it felt like maybe he could have been a an overseer. It seemed like he had some sort of widespread picture for what he wanted from this team. But when it came to like game day, there were so many things where you know the question comes up: Well, why did this happen? And his initial reaction is: Well, I don't micromanage my coaches. Well, you don't call plays on offense and you don't call plays on defense. Your job is literally to micromanage what's going on at that point. So I, it just never felt like he was. You know, locked in. So, so what exactly was Urban doing then? <laughs> man, look, beats me. I've been trying. I, that's what I kept asking for weeks. Is <laughs> what is this man doing on game day besides just standing on the sideline with his hands on his knees? If he's not calling plays, and then every time something goes bad, his initial reaction is, "I don't micromanage." Well, then, th- exactly. What What is your responsibility on game day? And it just never seemed to make sense. And I think one of the final straws was just his continued lack of understanding or lack of answers. I mean, like, as a media member, you know, it was frustrating at times where we'd ask a question it just didn't make sense. Like, the James Robinson situation definitely was not good from an optics perspective. Your best player is on the sideline for extended periods of time after he fumbles. Understandable. If Urban Meyer goes and stands up at that podium and says, I benched James Robinson because he fumbled, it's a non-story. But when you say, I don't know why he wasn't on the field. Well, the running back coach handles the rotations and, you know, I don't micromanage my coaches. Like, then then that raises questions as to, well, you know, if Trevor is saying this is your best player and he needs to be on the field and you're saying the running back coach handles it, you need to know why one of your best players isn't on the football field. And he just never seemed to have those answers. And, uh, you know, I think Shot the, the, the report is that Shot Khan met with him in Nashville after the Titans game where they got shut out and he didn't have any answers for Shad either when Shad asked, well, what's the problem? And it sounded like, I mean, from what they're saying, he didn't have any answers for him either. So it wasn't just that, you know, that he didn't have answers for media. It was that he didn't seem to have those answers, period. And that I think that's the point where we got to where there was no coming back. Well, if 
you're going to take a job like an NFL job. Shouldn't you be more prepared, though? 100%. I mean, you think when you start talking about a guy like Urban Meyer who has a long resume, and, I mean, we even asked him this. He was asked about micromanaging and, you know, how he micromanaged when he was at Florida to win national championships. And his response was, you know, after he retired from Florida before taking the Ohio State job, he kind of looked back in the mirror and took a step back because he realized all that micromanaging was stressing himself out and that, you know, he would let his coaches do their jobs. Well, I think there's a happy balance between letting your coaches coach and you being the head coach and being responsible and managing the situation. And it just never seemed like he could find that balance with the Jaguars. And I would also say being a head coach in the NFL is a high-stress job, by definition. Yes. <laughs> yes, this isn't retirement. Which I mean, at times it just kind of felt like to him this was like, I think the, the one I went to was like the Mark Ritt Miami job where, you know, you got one foot in, in retirement and you're just going to kind of like hang out and, and oversee the whole organization and you thought this was going to be relaxed, but that's not the case. Is it possible that Urban's mindset during this whole time was just collect the bag, if it works, it works, but I got the bag. It, was it possible that was just his mindset going in? I, I mean, it's possible. It, it's very possible, but I mean, if that was the case, then I don't think we'd have seen the number of transgressions that we saw from him, from the video, from the kicking player incident. Uh, I mean, and Stuff, you know, stuff that probably hasn't even come out yet to the point where Shad Khan and his lawyers think that they won't have to pay Urban Meyer that contract and fired him for cause. So, I mean, I, if, if he was really focused on just, all right, well, I got this big contract and I'm going to get the payout when I get fired, I think he, you would have seen a guy that was a little bit more careful to make sure he got that payout. So would you say then, do you think Urban's just, maybe I'm trying to figure out the word to say, just bad with people? Uh, you know, he strikes me as a coach that uh, society seems to have passed by. You know, I mean, that, there, there's a point in time where you could probably kick a player and tell him you're the head coach and I'll kick you whenever I want and nobody would have batted an eye. But you can't do that now. Yeah, he kicked and, him and said, I'm the head football coach. <laughs> right, you know, you, you know, there was probably a time where you could get away with that. And actually, I know there was. And I mean, in college football, it's a little bit different, especially from the media um, side of the coverage side of things so you know you can kind of hide some of that stuff in the NFL the media circuit is full circuit all the time and you can't hide that kind of stuff it will get out and you know I think you know he, he the I think you, you just found something where he didn't fit and maybe he's I don't know I, I just can't put my finger on it I think maybe he's just bad with people like you said because, I mean, when you start rubbing the coaches the wrong way, I mean, that's your coach. You hired them. I mean, when you got a report that you go in the offensive staff room and call them losers and say you're the winner, well, you hired these people. You were responsible for that. You handpicked me. Like, if I'm one of those coaches, I'm looking at them like, you brought me here. I didn't ask you. <laughs> yeah, that's... So, it's just strange. Like, you can't, like, it, 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 it just seemed like he didn't want to take responsibility for stuff. I mean, if you say, well, my offensive coaching staff sucks, he should look in the mirror and say, well, I hired these guys. I messed up. I mean, you, it's 100% okay to think, you know, I got to make changes on my staff, but you can't go in a room and call them losers and not say, well, you know what? I messed up by hiring them. I then be surprised when there's yes, leaks. Boy. Yeah, he's just he just he just wasn't a good leader in Jacksonville, and it it definitely crumbled faster than I expected it to. But you know, I I think he's done on the sidelines. I, I do. Do you think he would go back to college? 
I don't think he's going to go back to college. He has talked openly during his time in Jacksonville about his disdain for recruiting and the transfer portal. And, at, you know, I think at his age, you'll probably go and get that job at Fox back and uh, take that cushy gig as an analyst. And that'll be the end of it. So when you, you were talking about this a little bit, the media difference. But... Oh, you think so? He's going back to Fox and he's going, well, I mean. He's probably making one, two million a year Fox, doing that. ESPN, somewhere, you know, I think he's going to be a college football analyst somewhere. I don't see him coaching anywhere. Uh, I mean, right now his reputation is kind of stained. I mean, he wouldn't be, he'd struggle to get a major job. It'd have to be somebody who's just, you know, who's had sustained losing, who just wants to get over the hill and is willing to take a shot at it. I mean, if you say in the SEC, I mean, would a Vanderbilt interest him? <laughs> I mean, you know, Vanderbilt, maybe a Mississippi State if they could part it ways with Mike Leach or something. But I just don't think he wants to recruit. So I think even if he does get hired, you're going to have that problem of him not wanting to hit the trail and go get the guys. And you were talking about this a little bit, the difference between NFL uh, media in the NFL and media in college football. Can you just kind of explain that difference? So in, in college football, essentially, like, there's no locker room access. You can, I mean, they basically decide what players they want available, and they can decide that they don't want to make any of them available. I mean, Dan Mullen did that this year while, while he was in charge of the Gators. He said he wasn't making players available for a few weeks because he wanted them to focus on football when they were struggling. So he was the only he was the only voice. And as a college coach, you can control that message and control that voice. And if you want to, you can shut it down and just be the only person that talks. Or not talk at all, and I don't think anybody's going to bat an eye at college football. Practices are closed. There's very, I mean, legitimately, a college football coach can control the access as much as they want to. In the NFL, that's not the case. If he starts trying to make players not available, the NFL is going to step in because that's marketing for their product. And that's how they look at it. I mean, they want these players, they want Trevor Lawrence doing an interview every week because it's marketing for his product. Um, the media's a practice is open by NFL rules to the media. I mean, so, you know, we got to go out there on the practice field for a few periods and look and see things and talk to these guys. So, I mean, it's just a different, it's a completely different world. And, I mean, when in the NFL, you know, you got guys like Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, who, you know, they'll break something at any point in, in any moment. And like Urban's last game against the Titans, he was up there saying, you know, that we'll, we're going to find the leak and we're going to fire him. Well, you know, you're not going to find that leak. <laughs> you're not going to track it down, you know? Yeah, the if it was that simple, you wouldn't have Schefter and those guys constantly breaking stories. It's not that simple. <laughs> yeah, the, the way they make it sound, it's probably more than one leak coming out of that building. Uh, do you think part of this, too, is, I think it's interesting, right, with just college football coaches in general, for making the transition to the NFL, uh, they're just different jobs. And I think a yeah. lot of times we think, oh, just because you're a head football coach, that translates to the NFL, but it's kind of like, right? Like you're in media. Uh, being in political media and being in sports media, they're both media, but those are two different types of media. Oh, different ball games. And, you know, college football's changing a little bit now, but, I mean, in, the, in college football, it was always the head coach was the only voice. And once you signed that scholarship, I mean, before the transfer portal, guys were really, felt, you know, he controlled it. They, you, you know, you were stuck. If you got on his bad side, he could, you know, derail your career. The transfer portals helped balance that, and NIL is changing some of that a little bit too. But, I mean, the, the, the head coach really controlled everything. He was the one guy getting, you know, paid, 
and these are like 17, 18 year old kids. It's a little bit different from a respect standpoint there. When you get to the NFL, these are grown men with families that are making more money than the coach consistently across, almost across the board. So, I mean, you got to know how to deal with people and know how to talk to players. And it, that's, that's, it seems to be a shock to the system for a lot of college coaches because it's different talking to a 17 year or 18 year old to talking to a guy that's, you know, 30 with kids. You know, I mean, it's, it's it's different conversations, and you know, some of the stuff you probably say to a seventeen or eighteen year old about life are probably warranted, and they're they're probably more receiving. But by the time a guy gets to thirty, he's got you know ten year old kid or something. You don't want to hear some of them same stories. That stuff doesn't that stuff doesn't work anymore. Do you th- and I? I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's under the impression I want your thought on this. He thinks that Urban would have been a better fit for a place like New England with that type of structure. Do you agree with that? No. No. So how do you think it would have gone for Urban in New England? Uh, I don't think it would have made a difference. I mean, like, look, here's the thing. Like, uh, overall, Urban's problem wasn't that it, the players just mutinied against him. Did he have problems with some of the players? Sure. But did the, some of the players like him well enough? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like he just lost the play, the locker room. Uh, the, the, the players, he wasn't like at the top of their list of favorite coaches they ever played for or anything. And he wasn't getting guys to want to run through a brick wall. But they, they had far from just quit on him. Um, no, his problem came with the coaching staff. I mean, the coaching staff, you know, that offensive staff, completely you know, he rubbed all those guys the wrong way. Um, you know, there were some issues with a few players in between where, you know, there were issues. But the players' problem was that it felt like every week there was this new story where Urban Meyer's in the headline for doing something. And they were tired of it. Like, it wasn't that they hated him in the locker room. It was they don't want to be constantly in the news for playing for the guy that's in the video, you know, in, in Ohio. You know, I mean... I played high school and college football. I can't ever remember a coach not riding back with the team after a game, especially a loss. You know, I don't think that happens in any sport. (laughs) Yeah, I mean it's just strange, and so that that rubs some guys the wrong way. Like you see a guy like Dan Campbell in Detroit, where those guys will run through a brick wall for him. They're not winning games, but they love that coach and want to play for him. Urban didn't have that. But, I mean, he was far from just hated. I don't think if you put him in New England, it changes. I mean, I still think in New England, his coaching staff has a problem with him. And if he's not winning games, obviously he's not the guy's favorite thing. But the problem was with these constant headlines. And like Shad Khan said it earlier in the season when the video came out, that Urban needed to earn back everybody's trust and respect. And then when you're calling your coaching staff losers or however he worded it, that's not earning back trust and respect. That's embarrassing the franchise. Uh, and, you know, I think Robert Kraft would have handled it a very similar way. I don't think, like, the problem, like, Urban, Shad didn't fire him because he was losing on the football field. Shad's patient. Shad understood that this was a rebuild and it was going to take time. His problem was that Urban had no answers, had didn't seem to have a vision, and constantly was in the news embarrassing the team. What do you think Urban's relationship with Trevor was? You know, I mean, based on the two's interactions on the field and things like that, I think Trevor liked Urban well enough. Um, you know, I I don't think you can fake some of those moments where Trevor walks over and was putting his arm around Meyer and things like that. I think they had a decent enough relationship. Uh, but you know, that's what that's how Urban was in college. 
his star players, oh, he knows them back and front. Some of these fringe guys on the roster, he might not talk to them ever. You know what I mean? So, like, I'm sure him and Trevor probably got along well enough. But, uh, you know, the rest of the roster, meh. Okay, so what, 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 what do you think his relationship with the rest of the roster was then? Uh, you know, I think, like I said, he, I mean, he was during press conferences messing up free agent guy that, that he signed names. You know, he called he called Roy Robertson Harris Roy Roberts multiple times, and he signed the dude in free agency. Like that's not personal. You know, like the offensive coaches go up there, and you know when we ask them about Lavisca Chanel, Devil goes, you know, oh yeah, two live, you know, calling guys by their nickname. Like Tyron Johnson, you know, they'll go up there and they go, oh yeah, T Billy, like, and they they because they they have those those personal conversations with the guy. Urban never did that. Like I said, he's messing up players on his roster's name players that he brought to Jacksonville. So I think, you know, he probably, him and Trevor appear to have a good relationship. Trevor said him and he'll probably talk to Urban at some point because he feels like Urban brought him to Jacksonville. Um, but, you know, it's, the, it's some of those fringe guys who, like I said, he was messing up a starting defensive lineman's name. That doesn't exactly spell well for what he really knows about the rest of his roster, does it? Like, he ain't got that many players to just not know a guy's name. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of bad. Uh, so I want to get to this. The incident in Columbus. So I think there's just so many layers of this story. There's the incident with the woman. There's the fact that, and you mentioned this before, right? You play football in high school, you play football in college. Doesn't go back with the team. So let's just start with this. When you see Urban's trending for this reason, is I assume that's how you found out. That's how I find found out. Uh, what's going through your mind? The first thing I thought was, okay, well, this is between him and his wife. We don't know when exactly this video is from. And I was like, well, you, you don't ever know what the situation at home is and things like that. That was my first initial reaction. And then it kind of kept going and kept growing. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be bad. Um, but, you know, it, it's just one of those things. Like, to me, the not flying back with the team is far more egregious than, say, the video. Like, him and his, him and that girl and his wife have their own thing. That is his personal life, and you know, you know, they'll deal with that at home. I, you know, I saw people tagging his wife in the video and stuff like that, trying to tell her to look at it. And oh, I that's that crazy! Was, I thought that was just that's too much. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I guess my thing is right. He told them he was going to spend time with the grandkids. So, <laughs> I guess that's where it goes in the video. Because obviously, that woman's not one of the grandkids. It's like when somebody doesn't want to go to work, uh, they say, oh, I had a death in the family. Then you see him at the club. <laughs> well, think about this one. He wasn't hiding from nobody. I mean, he owns that place. Everybody there knows who he is. He wasn't hiding. I mean, it's just very public. It was very, I mean, it's bad. Like, his wife's posting pictures of her babysitting the grandkids on Twitter at the same time he's over in the bar <laughs> hanging out with a 20 year old like it's like come on man what are we doing and you would think too after a loss he'd be like okay I gotta break down some film I gotta figure out what's going on you you would think that that's that's another part of the problem it's not, I, I have no problem with you saying you need to spend time with your family if that's the case by all means spend time with your family but as a head coach of an NFL team that's losing, you got to be figuring something out. You need to be putting in extra work. I mean, it it, it, it got worse from there. Like, you got you 
should be putting in extra work to figure out how to fix this, not go and hang out at the bar. And, and, and a lot of these guys, like Bill Belichick, do you think Bill Belichick really has a life, like, outside of football? Like, I don't think Bill Belichick, his life is that expansive outside of football. I mean, you know, most coaches, they've talked. I mean, even Urban, his family talked about it while he was at Florida. You know, during football season, you didn't really see him because he was working. And a lot of NFL NFL is a little bit different than college because college is a full circle. you got to be recruiting. And NFL, during the season, you need to be working. That's plain and simple. Once the season's over with, you can spend all the time you want with the family, relax, do whatever you got to do. But in the season, it's, it's, it's game time. And when your team's losing, he should be breaking down film and trying to figure out how to fix it. Did you think he was going to get fired after that incident? You know, I, I think it was so early and the Urban Meyer hire was so hyped. I don't think there was any way that they could have cut bait right then and there. I just don't think. I think it was too early in the process. So many fans. I mean, when I said something this offseason about Shot not needing to pay Urban Meyer this money to come and be the coach. I mean, fans, you'd have thought I insulted fans, firstborn child or something, the way they were coming after me. Um, but, you know, so there was just so much hype around it. I don't think there was any way they could have cut bait right there and not had a huge backlash. So after this, he tried to explain this to the team. They laughed at him? Is that the story there? Uh, I mean, I've heard reports that, they, you know, they kind of laughed and that he, you know, told different stories to different position groups <laughs> and, and things like that. But, I mean, overall, I think, you know, players didn't, didn't care that much. Um about the whole situation. They, their biggest thing, I think, is that, you know, hey, your head coach shouldn't be doing something, you know, shouldn't be popping up for stuff like that. But, you know, it, it, I think to a lot of them, it was a joke just like it was to everybody else. Like, you know. When we get to, I want to get to this with Trevor, so I want to go to Trevor now. Uh, okay. He's had, he struggled. Is that, is that fair to say? Struggled? Yeah, I mean, I, the numbers say that. <laughs> and this was a guy who was, you know, touted as the Andrew Lux, the Peyton Mannings, like that type of prospect coming in. So what have you seen for Trevor, and how concerned would you be? Uh, you know, I'll be more concerned next season if he continues to struggle. The biggest thing is that Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke made some mistakes with putting together this offense. Uh, the one thing, I mean, the biggest mistake he made was saying, oh, yeah, the offensive line, we're going to keep the same starting five on the offensive line from last year. We're going to run it back with them, and they're going to be great. They'll be the strength of this offense. Because everybody that watched the team was like, man, Gardner Minshew, Mike Glennon, and all them boys was running for their life behind this offensive line last year, and you think you're just going to keep them together and run it back? So Trevor's not getting – I mean, it's not. it'd be one thing if he was just standing in a clean pocket missing guys. That's not the case. Like, if you weren't watching the games, I mean, he's – if he gets three seconds, he's doing good. That boy running for his life sometimes. Now, has he had some rookie mistakes where he's missed guys? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't think the offense is doing him any favors. Like, he doesn't have uh, uh, any sort of dependable wide receiver. Like, the closest thing he's got is Marvin Jones, who, I mean, Marvin Jones isn't a separation guy. He's not a speed guy. He's a throw it to him in a box and let him go get the 50-50 ball kind of player. But at some point, you know, for a rookie, he want, he, 
it'd be nice if he had something. They didn't bring in a tight end in free agency. They ended up trading for Dan Arnold, who played well for him before he got hurt. But, I mean, that LaVisca Chenault hasn't lived up to expectations this year, hasn't been used very well. DJ Tarkin went down for an injury. I'll be more concerned next season if he continues to struggle after whoever the coach is puts a better collection of talent around him, then I'll be extremely concerned. Right now, I just look at it and say, you know, the offensive line that they brought back was, wasn't great to start with, and now they've got injuries along there. And honestly, the guys that he or he's been throwing the ball to, if you look at a good team, like at best Marvin Jones on, like let's say, the Buccaneers, if the Bucks are healthy, Marvin Jones is like their third or fourth option, and he's maybe number one here in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? So I just right now, I think you're just looking for him to not start seeing ghosts. So how much blame would you put on Trevor then? Oh, there's definitely some to put on. Oh, for one hundred and ten percent. These, I mean, even in this game last week, they settled for a field goal, and he had a wide open wide receiver in the end zone. Um, 110%. There's a lot of, there's blame to be passed around, but I think like, like say a Justin Herbert last season, set it on fire as a rookie, but who was Justin Herbert throwing the ball to? I mean, you start talking about Keenan Allen, Mike Williams as his top two. The Jaguars don't have anybody that holds a candle to either one of those guys on the roster. Like, even if you said DJ Tark was healthy, DJ Tark's the third wide receiver on that team at best. You know what I mean? So, some of it's on Trevor for sure, but they definitely did, haven't done this rookie any favors. And I think that's the biggest thing is, like, you know, with the offensive line struggling, they haven't done anything. They haven't given him a consistent run game. For whatever reason, they've refused to hand the ball to, to James Robinson consistently. Like, what could he depend on as a rookie if they won't run the ball consistently? They, he has no wide receivers or tight ends that he can just depend on to be there on third down. What, what is there? Uh, you know, it, at any good quarterback, he has at least one guy that you, you're like, all right, that's my third down guy. He's got sure hands. Like, when you look at the Jaguars roster, who is that guy? Do you think that, let me post it to you this way, do you think Trevor was properly rated coming out of college? Uh, I mean, would I take him over Zach Wilson? Yeah. Would I take him over Mac Jones? Yeah. I think he, I think by far he was, he, if you wanted to say is there a discussion between him and Justin Fields, sure, we could have that discussion, but I mean, I think, I think based on his resume, based on the arm talent, based on the physicals, the mental I, I think 100% he was the top quarterback in that draft class. I think he'll be fine. I fully believe that eventually he will be fine. I don't expect him to struggle next season, but uh, that's when I hit the panic button if he did. What do you think Jacksonville's going to do for head coach? Oh, see, that's a, that's a good question. So a lot of people here are like towing this line, like a a lot of the fans want an offensive coach. And, you know, that's the hot thing around the NFL right now is these offensive guys who are these offensive geniuses. And it's like, okay, that makes sense because you got a good quarterback. But maybe you go with a defensive guy because a lot of the top coaches in the NFL are defensive coaches. So, I mean, I think there's a happy medium. The big question is, does Shad want someone who's done it before? You know, because he, he took a chance on Urban, who'd never been an NFL head coach. But does he want a coach who's been there and experienced at running a team to try and get this thing back on the tracks? So, I mean, if you say he wanted an experienced coach, 
then you start talking about Jim Caldwell, Doug Peterson, maybe you throw Dennis Allen's name in there, guys like that. Um, I'm not, if you're asking me, I'm not in love with the idea of an experienced head coach because my belief is that the best head coaches have jobs. Like, it's very rare that a very good head coach is just, you know, becomes available or a very good previous head coach becomes available. Uh, maybe Doug Peterson's learned from his mistakes that he made in um, in Philadelphia, and, and you know maybe Dennis Allen has learned from the mistakes he made in Oakland at the time. But I think you, the best bet, especially with how young this roster is, is that you bring in a an up and coming candidate who has shown the chops and the leadership ability that you need. So would you you be more in favor of bringing in a guy with some head coaching experience then? With what? You'd be more and more. Uh, you'd be more in favor of bringing in a guy who has had head coaching experience as opposed to a coordinator. No, I'd be more in favor of a coordinator. Okay, the coordinator then. Yeah, I'd be more in favor of the coordinator. I, like I said, I I think there are plenty of guys that have head coaching experience out there that are that could do the job very well. Like I think Doug Peterson probably would be a fine, a, a fine hire. I like Jim Caldwell. I think he could be a good hire. Um, of the guys with head coaching experience out there, personally. I think Dennis Allen, the job that he's done with that New Orleans Saints defense has been impressive. Um, and you think, well, maybe he learned something from that Oakland Raiders team. And if you look back at the Raiders when he was running them, I mean, it's not like he had a quarterback. He was, you know, dealing with Terrell Pryor, who a couple years later was a wide receiver in the NFL. So, I mean, maybe you figure, all right, well, if you bring him in and surround him with some good offensive coaches, that works. Uh, but, I'm more in favor of go the young coach route, the, the coordinator, the up-and-coming guy, and surround him with guys that have done it before. Like, I think that was one of the missteps that Urban Meyer made was he wanted – like it felt like when he put together that staff, he wanted to be the smartest guy in the room because if you look at his staff, there's not a single guy that's been an NFL head coach or even a college football head coach on his staff. Well, Charlie Strong's been a college football head coach. But there's no NFL guys on that staff that have been head coaches. And to me, if you've never been an NFL head coach before, one of the first things you should be trying to figure out is where can I get a guy who has been and put him on my staff? That's reasonable. I would I completely agree. How would you like Brian Dable? I wouldn't have a problem with him. Um, I think he's done a great job in Buffalo. Um, I know a lot of people are extremely high on him because of the way he was able to develop Josh Allen. Um you know, he's not necessarily at the top of my list. I mean, toward the top, uh, I like Kellen Moore from Dallas. I think he's a good, he'd be a good hire. Um, who else do I like? Uh, you know, uh, Byron Leftwich is at the top of a lot of people's list, partially because of his connection to Jacksonville. He scares me a little bit, though, because he, he worked with Tom Brady. And, you know, working with Tom Brady, I could probably call plays for Tom Brady and look good. You know, so that that just kind of scares me. That gives me very much Adam Gase vibes. Like he called plays for Peyton Manning. How hard is that? Probably not very. What about a? Uh, I'm forgetting his name right now. The OC, the OC for Kansas City. Oh, Eric Bieniemy. Yes. I, would, I wouldn't mind him. Um, I, he's been interviewing for a while. I'm not sure what's going on with uh, with how those interviews have gone. Uh, but I mean, I think he'll. Um, I'm sure he'll be one of the guys that gets a at least gets an interview for this position. Um, you know, and maybe if it, when you get a co-sign from a guy like Andy Reid, I, I have no problem with it. 
you know, uh, he's been around for a while. You think he knows how to build a team and, and, and lead. So I wouldn't have a problem with a enemy. Josh McDaniels. Now Josh would be your former head coach home run hire, in my opinion. Um, if Josh, but the question is like, you don't want to court Josh and then get left at the <laughs> Colts were like that, that. That's the problem with Josh. Like you get down the road and then he might look at it and be like, you know what? Actually, I don't want to go. And then now you you wasted time in this process negotiating with him going down this road, and then there's the embarrassment when that news gets out, like that Josh just said, "No, nah, I'm good." Halfway through the process, so now you got to go find somebody else, and they know that they're the rebound chick. <laughs> you know, so uh, like I, I think Josh has learned so much from Bill Belichick. I think he has done a good job on the offense. I think the the offense that he's running there with Matt Jones this year phenomenal. Um, you know, he's the guy that I think a lot of teams will covet and would be your, if anybody's looking for a former head coach, he's the guy that everybody will want. The question is, does he want to leave New England? And the only person that knows the answer to that is Josh. I feel like for some reason they, they must have promised him that he's going to be the next head coach after Belichick. Else that Colts thing just looks weirder and weirder. Well, I, I feel like he probably knew about the Andrew Luck or got wind of the Andrew Luck situation. And there, there's probably a very strong possibility. I mean, if you were going to wait for a team, the Patriots are being built the right way. They have a good owner who who wants to see the team do well, and he's been there for so long. If you were going to wait for a team, you could do a lot worse than waiting for the Patriots, you know, and Belichick won't coach forever. I'm sure there's been a conversation or two about if that's the case, about when Belichick might hang it up. I mean, there's even been talks of maybe the enemies waiting for Kansas City, maybe waiting for Andy Reid to hang it up. Because, I mean, that could be a similar situation where maybe they have that under-the-table handshake. I mean, but you could also say the same thing about Tampa Bay because Bruce Arians is, you know, gonna is going to retire at some point and has talked about retirement openly. So maybe Byron Leftwich or Todd Bowles, both of them could, one of them could have that handshake deal under the table of, all right, I'm going to groom you to be my replacement, and when I retire, you take over. And so... It, we, we just don't know about some of those backdoor deals that could be in place when you start talking about some of these older established coaches. Lastly, I want to ask you this. James Robinson and Urban Meyer, what was going on there? Uh, Urban just wouldn't be truthful about the situation. James fumbled, Urban benched him. And he just, for whatever reason, would not say that. Now, why was Ur- James treated differently than uh, than any other player on the roster when they fumbled. The only thing I can figure is that James was not Urban Meyer's guy. I mean, if you think about his track record, I mean, I've heard reports that they were trying to trade James this offseason, and Urban said he wants speed on the offense. James ain't exactly a burner. And they came in and spent a first-round pick on another running back. So to me, that screams that you're not my guy. I, you know, Travis Etienne, they can say all of the, oh, well, we wanted him at wide receiver sometimes stuff that they want. At the end of the day, he's a running back. If you were, if you looked at your roster and said, well, we have a lot of holes, but we have James Robinson who we think is a good running back, why would you draft Travis Etienne even if you said you needed two running backs? You can get a decent running back in the second, third round. So uh, that – that marriage was, you know, doomed to fail from day one. Their first game against the Texans, I think, Carlos Hyde had more carries than James Robinson. I always found that weird. Yeah. 
That, that, that was when I was like, is it like because Carlos High went to Ohio State? And I think that happened a co- couple other games. Like, I, I just always thought that was, like, that was weird. They, they made it very clear that they were not willing to feed James Robinson the ball. And I'm not sure what the exact circumstances around it were, but I'll tell you this. During Daryl Bevel's opening press conference as the interim head coach when he was asked about James Robinson and if he'd be, uh, if he'd get, be able to play, his response was, James Robinson is our starting running back and he'll be treated as such. To me, that sounds like a very telling statement by an interim head coach. Like He doesn't have to say it, but it sounded like to me, for whatever reason, James was in Irvin's doghouse because he realizes that James was not being treated like the starting running back because he wasn't. For whatever reason, they were very enticed by Carlos High, even in games where James, you know, was running wild. Like, this past situation where he fumbled and was getting pulled isn't the first time we had problems asking him about James Robinson. I mean, there were goal line situations where they're in games early in the year and, you know, fourth and one, and you got Carlos High in the backfield, and he doesn't pick it up. And it's like, okay, I'm not saying that James Robinson necessarily would have picked it up, but I feel like he gives you a better chance to pick it up than Carlos Hyde. But, you know, that, that that marriage was destined to fail. And I think everybody can look at it, and they put it on display with the Travis Etienne pick. That's not a slight at Etienne. That's just, to me, if if you say, I, like, look at this Jaguars roster. There are holes everywhere. You didn't need a running back if you believed in James Robinson. They didn't believe in him, so they picked somebody they thought was going to be better. Jamal, thank you for coming to the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, man, anytime. And once again, I want to thank Jamal St. Cyr for coming on the podcast. appreciate him spending some time out of his schedule to come on and talk Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville Jaguars head coaching search. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 369th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.